Rex Sherman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk Long Island Serial Killer podcast was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the Lisk podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes, and if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Like a lot of extreme sports, it seems crazy to many of us as to why these people would put themselves in danger just for a thrill. But surfers seem to love what they do despite knowing the risks they face and sometimes their luck catches up with them. Which is why today we bring you stories of survival, loss, and enduring bravery. Welcome guys to our Patreon-only patrons video. Thank you so much for the continued support. We all really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy this one. There's five thrilling survival stories of surfers. Number five, Shark Boy. California coast, famed for its gorgeous Pacific scenery and a haven for surf enthusiasts, was the heartland of our hero in this story, Todd Endress. On a clear August day in 2007, the usually serene atmosphere at Monterey Bay was transformed into a battleground. In the six-foot-deep waters off Marina State Park Beach, a monstrous 12-foot-long great white shark struck, changing Todd's life forever. A seasoned surfer, Todd was no stranger to the dangers of the ocean, but really nothing could have prepared him for the brutal attack that would ensue. As he sat on his surfboard that fateful morning, out of nowhere the shark lunged at him not once, but three separate times, taking large bites on every attack. Fellow surfers came rushing to his aid, and luckily, and before they even reached him, it appeared as though the shark had been scared off. An unexpected group of dolphin allies in the area actually did chase the shark away. Once back on shore, 
quick thinking and the swift application of tourniquets helped stave off what could have been a fatal loss of blood. While the medical response was swift, the damage done was severe. Todd had lost half his blood, and it took a massive 500 stitches and 200 staples to piece him back together. His ordeal went on to be reenacted on Animal Planet during Shark Week, and in a candid interview on YouTube, Todd himself recounted the chilling encounter, saying, The shark came at me real fast and hard. What can you do? It's like trying to fight a car moving at you. Even in the face of such adversity, though, Todd's spirit remained unbroken. After healing, as soon as he could, he returned to the waters he loved so much, which officially earned him the moniker Shark Boy. His charismatic personality only shone brighter. Patrick Moyer, a close friend and surfing companion, remembered him as someone who could make others laugh to the point of tears. Tragically, on September 1st of 2016, at the age of 33, Todd's life was cut short in a single-vehicle accident near King City. A memorial service was held on Del Monte Beach, where Todd's love for the ocean was celebrated in a traditional paddle-out ceremony. Stories were shared, tears shed, and his infectious laughter was missed. Kelly Sorensen, a friend and fellow surfer, recalled how Todd would unhesitatingly show off his shark-inflicted scars whenever asked about sharks. It was a living testament to resilience, a vivid reminder of the harsh yet thrilling allure of the ocean, and the power of the human spirit to endure and overcome. Number 4. Chris Nell An aspiring hospitality student from New Zealand's capital city of Wellington, in 2009, Chris Nell had embarked on a holiday to the idyllic south coast of Savai, western Samoa, with visions of catching waves on a surfboard and basking in the tropical paradise. Little did he know, though, that a daunting spectacle of nature was waiting to unfold, and this wasn't about a predator shark, but of Mother Nature. It was a Wednesday morning. The sun had barely started to break the horizon as Nell had woken up early, eager to grab his surfboard and get out onto the water. He joined other surfers out there, caught a few waves, and while out there, they felt a tremor. But living in earthquake-prone New Zealand, Nell shrugged it off and continued on his surfing journey. Joined by an Australian companion and four other New Zealanders, they caught wave after wave, A picture of blissful ignorance amid nature's brewing storm. Because that tremor they felt was actually an 8.3 magnitude earthquake. The ocean now, once their playground, turned ominous. The water's texture shifted, glassing off and becoming uncomfortably lumpy. A sudden and rapid pull sucked them further out to the sea, their reality quickly morphing into a horror movie scenario. Turning back, they saw an unreal sight. The reef they once surfed above now exposed like a dried-up volcanic riverbed. And this is what happens before a tsunami is formed. An eerie silence preceded an explosive blast of water that struck the shores as a chilling realization washed over Nell. This is it. 
We're going to get washed away and smashed into the jungle. Confusion and terror swirled among them as they wondered why help was not arriving, only to learn later that an evacuation had already whisked everyone as far away from shore as possible. As the ferocious waves of the tsunami barreled towards them, they could do nothing but brace themselves. Trees, debris, the remnants of human life all swept past them in a horrifying aquatic dance of destruction. Clinging to their surfboards, they rode out the relentless wave surges, each moment a desperate bid for survival. After what seemed like an eternity, 35 to 45 minutes of life and death struggling in the chaotic waters, they finally seized an opportunity. Timing a lull between surges, they managed to navigate through the reef channel, finally reaching the shore, a land rendered alien by the destructive forces of the tsunami. The surf camp where Nell had been residing was decimated. His belongings thrown across the landscape or lost to the ocean. His own surfboard, a bizarre testament to his ordeal, was eventually found lodged in the jungle. In the aftermath, Nell stayed on the beach, aiding in the salvaging efforts of a wrecked boat. But another tsunami warning forced him and others to flee. He managed to snatch his passport before joining the flight. For hours, they huddled in a nearby village, their hearts pounding with each passing minute, the threat of a second surge looming over them. And finally, days later, Nell made his departure, flying back to Wellington. His attire was a reminder of his harrowing encounter, a pair of jeans that he had found in the jungle, the only remnants of his pre-tsunami life. We were really, really lucky, Nell reflected on his experience, painfully aware that a mere change in position closer to the shore could have spelled severe injury or death. As you guys know, life is a patchwork of mysteries and surprises, some pleasant and some not so much. Chris Nell's survival story shows the unpredictable and powerful forces of nature that exist alongside our everyday lives, lurking in the background until they make themselves known. Number three, Chris Blows. In the vast, untamed wilderness of South Australia, where the land surrenders to the sea, an extraordinary tale of survival, persistence, and grit emerged in 2015, a tale that has become part of the chilling lore of the country's encounters with nature's formidable creatures, the great white shark. Chris Blows, a seasoned surfer, who on an ill-fated day in April of that year was assaulted by a behemoth from the depths of the ocean, a large 18-foot great white shark. Chris, who was 24 at the time, was riding the waves at Fishery Bay when the unsuspected shark struck him from behind. The attack was merciless, the beast tossing him around as if he were a mere plaything. Blood filled the water quickly, and as he recalled with chilling sobriety to the BBC, it shook me and played with me for a bit. The ordeal culminated in the loss of his left leg, ripped off by the monstrous jaws of the Great White. His friends, as brave as they were, terrified, managed to pull Chris ashore. His heart had ceased beating, his life hanging by the thinnest of threads, 
It took the relentless efforts of paramedics tirelessly administering CPR to coax him back to life. While Chris battled for survival, entering a coma for 10 days, the authorities found an eerie remnant of the shark attack on his abandoned surfboard, one of the shark's teeth wedged tightly into its surface. However, owing to the state's stringent Fisheries Management Act, this remnant was then confiscated. The act prohibited the possession, sale, or purchase of any part of white sharks. Defiance of this law could lead to a whopping fine or even imprisonment. The tooth, a reminder of Chris's gruesome encounter, was taken from him, leaving him with an odd sense of loss. Years passed and Chris found himself repeatedly requesting the authorities for the return of the tooth. A piece of his life was entangled with it, a memento of his narrow escape from the jaws of death, but the rules seemed to stand against him until a local politician, moved by Chris's harrowing story, intervened. And finally, after years of struggle, the state granted him an unprecedented exemption, allowing him to keep the tooth. Chris remarked with a grim sense of humor, the shark isn't getting its tooth back, and I'm not getting my leg back. It was a victory, not just for him, but for all who had faced the harsh wrath of nature and emerged victorious. Today, 34-year-old Chris cherishes the shark's tooth, not as a grim reminder of his lost limb, but as a testament to his courage and resilience. Encased in a protective box, it travels with him as he delivers motivational speeches around the country, recounting his extraordinary tale of survival against all odds. And, with a second lease on life, it's a souvenir that he hopes to someday show his grandchildren. Number 2. Greg Long They say the ocean is a world of extremes, both merciless and nurturing, harboring unspeakable terrors and infinite beauty beneath its rolling swells. This is the story of Greg Long, a professional big-wave surfer who dared to ride the formidable waves of Corda's bank and barely lived to tell the tale. As a staple in the world of big-wave surfing, Long carved out a name for himself since his daring ventures began at the early age of 15. Raised amidst the beaches of Southern California, the son of a lifeguard, the sea was more than his playground, it was his lifeblood. However, in 2012, his bond with the ocean would be challenged in a dramatic and near-fatal incident. Long, chasing colossal waves that towered 30 and 40 feet high, found himself face-to-face with the harsh reality of his sport at Cortez Bank off the Southern Californian coast. A wipeout thrust him under a series of giant swells, preventing his desperate ascent to the surface to catch a breath. Every single time he thought he'd make it back to the surface, he just got shoved down again by another wave. His world became a murky, desolate landscape as he fought against the ocean's pull. He didn't know which way was up, and soon the water filled his lungs, the darkness overtook his vision, and Greg found himself fading from consciousness into the indifferent embrace of the sea. It was in this critical moment that his rescue team spotted him and fought the ocean's wrath to haul him out into their boat. As he lay sprawled on the deck, the world a blurry mess and coughing up blood, his life was hanging in the balance, 
and he felt a seismic shift in his perspective. It was an experience, he realized, that would forever change the course of his life. Following the accident, Long found himself wrestling with deep introspection, questioning the very fabric of his existence. He had dedicated his life to the pursuit of big wave surfing, and now he was forced to reflect on the reasons for his relentless drive. Why did he really risk everything to chase the world's biggest waves? Despite the trauma, he found himself back on a surfboard mere weeks after his brush with death, competing in the prestigious Mavericks, an invitation-only big wave competition in Northern Cali. Yet, even as he paddled out, he grappled with the decision. Should he continue to compete or should he step away from this life-threatening pursuit? In a bid to find his answers, Long soon decided to distance himself from the ocean. He threw on a backpack and embarked on a journey away from the waves, taking him to the remote regions of the Peruvian Andes. He used this time to rediscover what mattered most in his life. Upon his return, he decided to go into emergency medical training, thinking that perhaps he could channel his experiences in a new direction. But as time passed, he realized his true calling, to use his status within the surfing community to educate people on environmental issues and advocate for ocean conservation. Today, Long collaborates with organizations like Parley for the Oceans, the Surfrider Foundation, Save the Waves Coalition, and Patagonia, among others, to promote environmental awareness and conservation. His mission took a new urgency after a recent trip to Bali where he witnessed plastic pollution on the beaches, signaling an environmental emergency. He said, The ocean has given me so much in life and has been my greatest teacher. If we continue to neglect it, I feel it's my responsibility to help change that. Every so often he still rides the waves, competing or simply indulging in the thrill that once defined his life. But the fear that once burdened him is gone, replaced by an understanding that it is merely an emotion to control, a positive motivator in his life. Number 1. Laird Hamilton and Brett Lickle It was early in the morning as monstrous waves began to form off the north shore of Maui. The sensation was palpable, a vibrating hum in the air that shook the very foundation of the houses that dotted the coastline. This terrifying yet alluring natural phenomenon was what had drawn Laird Hamilton and Brett Lickle to make Maui their home. With the dawn of this new day, word spread like wildfire among the local surfing community. Today, the titans of the sea were awake. Hamilton, a seasoned surfer and innovator of the toe-in surfing technique, picked up his phone and dialed his trusted friend and fellow wave hunter, Brett. Their vessel of choice, a three-seat watercraft, carried them away from the safety of Baldwin Beach Park and towards the roaring break known as Outer Sprex. The ocean swelled beneath them. It was a battlefield filled with liquid mountains, where every 30 seconds a new 10-story challenge would present itself, traveling at a speed that could outrun any land vehicle. Hamilton and Lickle danced with the oceanic titans, and by midday they retreated for a break, only to return to find the waves even taller, the intervals between them shorter. 
It was then that they encountered an 80-foot-tall monster. The tow-in, the release, the first contact with the wave, all went as planned. But a split-second miscalculation on Hamilton's part found him too high on the wave. He was able to get over it, but before they could escape, another colossal wave hurtled towards them, knocking them off their watercraft. Underneath the water, Hamilton experienced 30 seconds that felt like an eternity. Four more waves battered him, an underwater onslaught that left no room for escape or respite. When he did finally manage to break the surface, Hamilton emerged to find Lickle, grievously injured, and their watercraft nowhere in sight. At that moment, he realized that he was their only hope for survival. Hamilton's adrenaline kicked in as he ripped off his wetsuit and used it as a makeshift tourniquet for Lickle's leg, which had been slashed open by a fin on the spare surfboard. Hamilton then spotted the watercraft far away and raced towards it, as it was their only hope. While haunted by the thoughts of Lickle bleeding out and the imminent threat of sharks drawn by the scent of blood in the water. Upon reaching the watercraft, Hamilton placed a desperate call to 911. And he raced back to Lickle. He found himself praying that he would be there in time, hoping that the sharks hadn't found his friend yet. The ride back to shore was a blur of tension, fear, and relief. They were met by an ambulance waiting on the beach. Once Brett was taken away, stabilized and assured to be okay, Hamilton found himself gazing back at the ocean. Despite the harrowing events, he felt an insurmountable urge to return to the sea to honor his fallen friend, to face his fears head-on. Hamilton's life was ruled by two principles, the physical and the intangible. That day, as he rode the waves once more, he found himself on the plateau where these principles intersected, where fear was a fuel, and where passion, experience, and judgment counted for more than muscle and strength. So there were five thrilling survival stories from surfers. Like a lot of things in life, it's all fun and games until it isn't. I used to think surfers were kind of crazy for going out there among the elements, and especially the sharks, but now I kind of realize it's what they love, and they know the risks. If they want to push themselves to the limit, and who is anyone, really, to stand in their way? Thanks so much for tuning in to this Patreon-only patrons video, guys. Hope you enjoyed the rush of the water. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll see you guys soon.